to the Family Movie Night podcast, where we want to help your family have better conversations around the content that you consume. My name is Nathan, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. Starting it off, we have uh, Mr. Geronicus Jangle himself, uh, Donnie Dorsey, straight from his lab, inventing all kinds of goodies. What you got for us, Donnie? Howdy, duty neighbor. Just bring, just bring in this light of uh, light of joy. You know. I feel, I feel like you're less Geronicus Jangle and more like Ned Flanders mixed with Mister Rogers. Howdy, duty. I don't know what that was, but anyway, you're doing well. You're doing well, Donnie. I'm doing well. Good, good. And then, of course, we have uh, the 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 slimy, thieving uh, Gustafson himself. Mr. Keegan Michael Key in the flesh, Sawyer Hewlett. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm kind of I'm excited to talk about this movie. So my goal is to always um when I'm having to pare down these character introductions, I'm always just trying to make sure that Donnie is the hero and Sawyer is the villain. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my goal. So there you go. I'm happy uh, to play the heavy. There you go. Very good. Very good. Mr. Uh, well, maybe you can make, maybe you can make like a, uh, a, a heel turn, like to, to be a baby face soon talking Donnie's <laughs> language there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Donnie, what's your favorite bad guy, good guy turn in, in, in wrestling? I mean, the, the obvious one is definitely, uh, like the stone cold version of where like, essentially he's so tough and he go, fights through these moments that he becomes the good guy because, the good guy is decided that he's just going to beat down this, this other guy unmercilessly. Yeah. So it like almost turns him into the good guy. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day. We were talking about the rock and they were talking about how like he looked frowny and they thought he was a villain. Yeah. And I was like, man, people love the rock. Like the rock was like a, he was like one of the most beloved. I mean, he was like the second coming of Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And like the funny thing about him is that um, like what a lot of people don't know is that when he first uh, came on the scene in wrestling, like, he was booed because people like they it's like they didn't want to like him. But then, like, as you know, from the movies and you get to like see The Rock on television and interviews, he's a very likable person. And he he moves you in that direction. You're like, I don't want to like you. I don't want to like you. Oh, but you're so endearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely. So, hey, w- while we're there, Donnie, why don't you tell us what it is that we actually do on this podcast? Because this is not a wrestling podcast. What is it that we do? Well, on this podcast, we encourage every family at Community Christian to have a monthly movie night to help you and your children build memories and start conversations that matter. The goal of our family ministry is to help you to raise children to love Jesus and his way of life above all other things. And we know that Critical to that is for you to have a routine, regular time of connection and some shared experiences that'll help you build some stronger relationships. And that's why we do movie nights, because movie nights are great opportunities to do that. Movies are not only an easy way to share laughter and joy together, but they also help you have a context, really, to talk about these difficult emotions of sadness or fear, as we are actually going to talk a little bit about today. But it's in a safe environment for your kids. They're not personally affected by them. But they also give you a chance to talk about what matters most to us in a way that is meaningful and accessible and memorable to our children. And on this podcast, we not only want to recommend some movies that you could watch on your monthly movie night, but we also want to give you some handles to talk, have these meaningful conversations that you could have with your children during 
or after the movie. And today we're talking about a, a really great movie that you can find on Netflix called Jingle Jangle a Christmas Journey. And already some of you are turned off by the idea of a movie called Jingle Jangle. But I'm telling you, uh, you're going to want to give this a movie a shot. But before we get to that, Sawyer, there's a couple other things everybody needs to know. Tell them what it is. I just want to remind everyone to go ahead and uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook. And also, if you're a parent that calls Community Christian your home, uh, we have a lot more helpful content to you available on our parent Facebook group. All you have to do is go to our kids' Facebook page and uh, click on the, or sorry, go to our church's Facebook page, click on the tab that says groups and find the community kids parent tab. If you click the join group button, you'll get regular updates about events for your kids and your family around our church, as well as articles, videos, and content that will help you encourage and inspire you as uh, you raise your children to love Jesus. We hope to see you over there. And as always, I just love to make sure that everyone knows we are not trying to add one more thing to your list as a parent that you feel guilty about not doing. So much of parenting is just comparing yourself to other parents and feeling like you're messing it up. We don't want to do that. Our goal, honestly, is to try and help make it easier for you and your kids to enjoy being together because uh, sometimes in life with all the busyness and hecticness, it can be hard to enjoy being with your kids, but and you had kids because you wanted to enjoy being with them. So we want to make it easier and we want to make it easier for you to build memories and start conversations that matter. And today we have a great movie to talk to you about uh, with that. It's a movie you can get on Netflix. If you subscribe to Netflix, it's called Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Story. It is directed by, it's written and directed by David E. Talbert. It is, um, uh, here's the description from IMDb. An imaginary world comes to life in a holiday tale of an eccentric toy maker, his adventurous granddaughter, and a magical invention that has the power to change their lives forever. Uh, that's a pretty good description of the film. Uh, I'll, I'll add just a couple of things to it to help you understand our conversation for today. We're going to try not give too many spoilers away, but I want you to be prepared to talk about this with your kids. So uh, the movie's about a guy named Geronicus Jingle, which is just, I mean, come on. Uh, is there a better, outside of Indiana Jones, is there a better only in movies name than Geronicus Jingle? I mean... Darth Vader is a pretty cool name. I'm Isn't that honest. more like a title, though? Maybe it's a title. Uh, you're right. Anakin Skywalker. Cool, though, okay? Anakin Skywalker also is good. Yeah. I'll also say Snake Plissken. Oh, Snake Plissken's cool. Yeah. Like from Escape from New York. If, yeah. if I met a dude named Snake, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, uh, Geronicus Jangle is an inventor. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie, we see he gets this missing piece he needs for an invention. He and his daughter kind of have this magical connection. We don't even, and it's never really explained, which I kind of love. They don't really explain what he's doing, whether it's just he kind of sees the math and the algorithms or how that works. But there's this kind of spark of life that he's able to bring to inventions. And then he has this uh, assistant, kind of uh, assistant inventor. Uh, who is later played by Keegan-Michael Key as they get older, uh, who steals this invention from him and then steals his notebook with all his inventions. Geronicus Jangle is so grief-stricken by this and that soon afterwards his wife dies that he uh, sends his daughter off, I guess, to boarding school. They don't really – do they explain that? No, I don't think so. I think they just kind of 
allude to the fact that they're just separated like, jointed for a moment. Yeah. So. so he, he doesn't really see his daughter anymore. And then eventually years later, his granddaughter comes to visit him and kind of reignites that spark, uh, within him. And, uh, it's really about this, uh, toy maker who has kind of lost his spark for life and, and gets it back. And this is the part that we probably have buried the lead. It's a musical and, uh, it's an mm-hmm. old, old school kind of musical. Um, so, uh, Donnie, why don't you get us started? Um, did you watch this movie with your kids or did you have to watch it another time? And uh, wh- what was your impression of the film? I ended up having to watch it um, without the kids only just because the time that to be able to sit down and watch it. But I think they would enjoy it uh, to a certain extent because um, my kids love like anything that involves music a lot of times. So I think it would have drew them in right away. Um, it's such a, it's a lot of good moments. Like, and I think, the music is something that is almost understated, which is kind of interesting because it is a musical in the way that it's done. But the way they use it is so interwoven that it doesn't seem like it doesn't make sense in moments. Like it seems it's like a transition to a moment and it works very well. Like, and, you know, they use it as different things. You know, they use it as some type of like, comedic fodder at times and they also use it as you know transition the story so yeah i definitely i definitely enjoyed it and i know you and i are longtime fans of key and peel uh what was your keegan michael key is the i'll just say he's the villain in this film uh he gets a musical number at one point uh some good comic moments some good dramatic moments uh what 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 what, how do you think keegan michael key did in this kind of role I think he stood out like, I mean, because I think, you know, when you see him do like all these shorts and all these um, different styles of comedy, you don't necessarily expect him to be able to take on a dramatic role and hold your interest as being, you know, not following to that, like that typical villainous person. Like he makes you feel like kind of like the thing we talked about before is like with different villains is that, the villain should to a certain extent almost appeal to you in a way through some small aspect. And he does that in a great, like he, as an actor, he does a fantastic job with that. He, he makes you go, wow. Okay. I can understand this. I can, I can rationalize where you got that from. So like, I definitely would give him many kudos on this. Yeah. I thought, I thought he was uh, great. I was surprised at his dancing skills. Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought, I thought his number was, is, is one of the top ones. Uh, I can't think of what the name of the song is, but it's, it's the, you can't spell magic without me. I thought that, that, oh, moment, yeah. that moment was great. Uh, magic man G is the name of the song. I was just looking it up right here. I thought he was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. I don't think he gets enough. Like, I think it's one of those things where like, they're so talented that you only have seen what they've done in small bits. Yeah. Like, so when you see the pairing together, you're like, oh, well these, this is a great comedy duo, but you don't realize they're equally as talented separately. So when you see them together, you're like, whoa, now yeah. I see why you came up with these amazing uh, ideas. Like y'all yeah. are great. So I'll say this, uh, uh, this movie, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I've enjoyed it more after watching it uh, in that the music has really stuck with me. Donnie, I'm just going to throw out this, uh, that first song this day. And I knew I could tell who that voice was. Do you know who sang that first song? No. It's Ursher, baby. Wait, was that? 
That's what it says. It says wow. that Usher, Usher. I was like, man, that voice sounds really familiar. And it I says, thought, I thought I heard, like, you know how like some people just have a tone in their voice where you just go, you kind of notice it, but it's yeah. almost like he hit it a little bit, yeah. just enough so you wouldn't, it wouldn't take too much focus. Yes. <laughs> it, uh, I know that the, a lot of the songs, if not all the songs, John Legend, um, was part of the writing team. Uh, so yeah, okay. I don't want to take away from all the other people who are in there. Philip Lawrence, Davey Nathan, Michael Diskant. But uh, obviously John Legend of those names is yeah. the one that everyone would know. If I'm not um, mistaken, I think Philip Lawrence, and I could be wrong, so somebody might have to correct me. I'm looking at it right now. I think he's part of the Sneezingtons, 100%. which is Bruno Mars and their writing team and production team. So when you yeah. hear the styles of the music, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, so I'll say this by far the highlight of the movie to me was the music and the musical numbers. Um, not every musical number. So I'll just say this. I am, uh, I'm high on this movie as far as you should watch it, but I don't think it's for everyone. And what I mean by that is not every family is going to be as into this. Uh, my girls also like Donnie love musicals. If the movie is a musical, they're on board. They love the movie. Haven't stopped talking about the movie. But I could see a lot of uh, older kids, teenagers, boys. A lot of boys probably aren't going to be as into this. Um, it aesthetically is very, very pleasing. I know uh, I'll, I'll let Sawyer talk more about that because I know that was a highlight for him. Just kind of the costuming and the set design and all of that um, feels straight out of like a Willy Wonka or something like that. It has that kind of vibe. In fact, I was telling, there's an article on insider.com, which is called, uh, I'll look it up so we can get proper credit. Netflix's jingle jangle creator says the lack of diversity in classics like Willy Wonka inspired his movie. So it's a long title, but if you type insider jingle jangle, it's probably the only article on there, but he talks about that. Um, he tried to get, his son into the the kind of older uh, musicals that he loved, Mary Poppins, Willy Wonka, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, those kind of classic. And you feel that in this movie. It feels like Willy Wonka. It feels like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I think for a lot of people, uh, those are a little slower paced movies um, because they're older. Uh, this one's also longer than most of those. It's right at two hours. Um, but anyway, I enjoyed it. There's a lot of great themes in there. But by far, if you're a musical person, it's great. Uh, like Donnie said, the John Legend stuff. Um, Anika Noni Rose, who plays Tiana in The Princess and the Frog, is one of the characters. She's got a great voice. She has a big musical number that's great. Forrest Whitaker can sing. I didn't know that, but <laughs> he does an awesome job. Keegan-Michael Key does a great job. Felicia Rashad is in the movie, which any movie you put Felicia Rashad in, I am going to be there to watch it. Uh, so... Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff. Um, but it is longer. Um, I could say if you probably have kids under five, not great for them. If you have kids older 12, probably not great for them. So it's right. It's a, it's right in the middle and they got to be into musicals. But, um, I think there's a lot of kids that are kind of into those things. If they love sound of music, they love Willy Wonka or you love those and you want to get them into it. And I think we haven't mentioned it, uh, obviously, by the cast we've mentioned and the article title. Uh, it, it is in, in intentionally a, a film starring people of color. And so uh, my daughters, both uh, two of my daughters who are uh, black, absolutely love that. They actually mentioned that uh, several times itself. Of, oh, she looks like me. And oh, she that was a big deal for them. Um, so anyway, I'll just say 
I'm 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 all thumbs up on it, but I don't know that everyone will be. So uh, Sawyer, you talked to me about enjoying the aesthetics. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I I enjoyed this movie. Um, I definitely the, this movie was not even remotely marketed to me. I will say. And uh, and I felt that, but that's okay. I, I it's I, the movie started with Sawyer. Don't watch this. <laughs> but uh, but I will say the things that I like, I love. So I mean, you mentioned it just now. Like I I love a the music and just like the theatricality of the movie. I loved because um, and you know we've talked about it with Keegan Michael Key's character. He's this very charismatic, uh, almost. And I mean this in a good way, almost cartoonish character, especially in the more bombastic scenes. Um, there is a literal cartoon character who uh, is also kind of played you know, by Ricky Martin. Yeah, for real. Um, but uh, I, so I, I love the theatrical nature of this movie. It's very cartoony in a good way. And that, that it was at its best when it was doing that. That being said, I also really like some of the characters, mainly Keegan-Michael Key's character and Forrest Whitaker's character. Forrest Whitaker's kind of, for me, like the, it's, it's the back that carries the movie and uh, at least the emotional aspect of it. And it, and he carries it well as the thing. Um, and we're going to get into it later, but uh, his, his character arc is a very complex one. And, and, and it's one that, you know, I, I don't know if everyone will pick up on right away because it is kind of, it's kind of weighty if I'm being honest, but, uh, but it's really good. And it's worth, here's the thing. It's worth having those conversations with your kids about for sure. So. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of our hope with uh, introducing movies like this is that one, it's a Christmas movie. I think it is going to become a movie. My kids are going to want to watch every Christmas um, be just because they're they're They just, uh, it, it, it's a big deal for them. Um, and uh, they really, they really enjoyed it. All my girls loved it. They keep asking to put jingle jangle. I'll say this. One of my daughters, heaven, um, always when we had this morning, we had our daddy daughter date. I have a daddy daughter date once a month with each of my girls. And, um, every time, even in the middle of like March, she wants to play the Grinch, the music from the Grinch, but, uh, the Tyler, the creator soundtrack version, which I'm all for, cause it's absolutely fantastic. But the, today I said, do you want to play the Grinch or you want to play jingle jangle? And she said, the Grinch. No, jingle jangle. That's how she said it. So she's all about jingle jangle right now. And uh, I could see it becoming a classic for them. So, like I said, I think if you got kids who are in that kind of age where the magic and the wonder of musicals really works, uh, this is it. But it is a little longer. So I can see some people not being as into that part. But there are some great themes that we want to talk about. So let's get into that right now. Uh, the first of which is really kind of the central um, theme of the movie, which is um, Forrest Whitaker's character, Jeronicus Jangle, gets this, uh, he's betrayed uh, by his apprentice, uh, Gustafson, played by Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, he loses kind of this, what he thought was his one shot. In fact, the first song, the hook of it is, all my life I've waited for this day. And he's waited for this day, and then it gets stolen from him. And it's almost like every dream he ever had got taken from him. And then his wife dies, and he's so heartbroken and grief-stricken 
that he can't he can no longer even relate or take care of himself or his daughter. He and his daughter get separated. Then his granddaughter comes in and he almost is sending her away because he doesn't want anything to do with her. And there's this um, he just can't bring himself to it because he's so grief stricken. And Donnie, you talked about this thing that I thought was really important to talk to our kids about, which is this idea of not lamenting things properly. You want to you want to start us off talking about that? Yeah, because I think. Um, especially like, I know I've learned this, um, as I've gotten older is the idea of actually lamenting things. And like, what, what I mean by that, um, is essentially actually grieving the moments of it, you know, the thing that you've lost, not necessarily staying with it for a, an extended period of time, but at least acknowledging it. And that's so critical because I think sometimes we dismiss that feeling of actually lamenting a loss because we think it's not significant enough because we're very comfortable with lamenting loss when it comes to um, people, but often we don't lament loss of, you know, maybe dreams or hopes or aspirations, you know, if something comes in the way of those things. And I think that's very, you know, evident in this movie Mm -hmm. is because, you know, he did hinge most of what he was doing on this one thing. And the problem that he got stuck in was he wasn't lamenting it. He wasn't accepting that, okay, this is, this is a circumstance that has occurred. Now, what will I do to move forward? He, he spent a lot of time grieving in that moment and, you know, acknowledging, Hey, this has happened, but not feeling like he could find a new semblance of hope and a way to come out of it. Because a lot of times that's the biggest part. Yeah, you can't accept the new until you've grieved the loss of the old. Mm -hmm. And he's so holding on to this dream. And you see this in the character. There's this beautiful visual representation of when his like spark of imagination comes and he's making these like algorithms out of this like dust in the air and all this kind of stuff. Well, he can't do that anymore. And then he sees his granddaughter shows up and she can and he can't even see it. He knows what she's doing, but he can't see what she sees. Yeah. And I think that's because what we're supposed to see is he's not willing to let go of, hey, this old dream you had, it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. You can't get that time you lost. And because you're not willing to move on. So my daughters and I actually had that conversation. One of my daughters said, why won't he talk to his granddaughter? Or there's a character in the, the who's, <laughs> I was shocked. The, uh, I think her name is Joanne. The, um, like, she's like the, um, postal worker who's like yeah. in love with him mm-hmm. and keeps which is that's a great song that song's called miles and miles and uh it's really funny and um they loved her but they're like why she re- she wants everything for them is uh she wants to kiss him why won't she he kiss her and mm-hmm. i said well he's just so sad so sometimes people get so heartbroken or mm-hmm. so disappointed or so angry or so scared they get stuck in that and they don't ever want to move forward. They just yeah. want to stay in the bad feeling. And I said, we don't want to be people who are that way. And I talked similar to what you talked about. I said, we have to go to God with that and tell God how hurt we are and tell God how disappointed we are. Because I've experienced in my own life and the life of many people in our church that I, I've been ministering with, sometimes just telling God, God, I'm really disappointed or God, I'm really angry or God, I'm really hurt is one of the most difficult things to do because we feel like it's not very spiritual. Yeah, exactly. Cause like from a spiritual standpoint, like you're, you're expected in many ways, or at least how it's been presented is that 
when something bad happens, you're supposed to just go, okay, it's okay. It's things happen. And I get that meant that thought, but what it does is it, it dismisses the feeling of what's happening. Well, and it, it ignores what is central to the gospel, which is for there to be an Easter, there has to be a good Friday for there to be a resurrection. There has to be a crucifixion that you can't embrace you can't embrace new life unless the old life dies. Exactly. And so when, when something needs to be grieved, you have to grieve it. Yeah. Cause even when, like, even when you're um, in that moment, like, cause I think this is an example that came up, came up to me. Like when you said that is that I think of the fact of, even though when you know something good is on the horizon, sometimes you get caught in it, but you're still wanting to grieve that moment. You can think about the moment when like Jesus weeped while yeah. Lazarus was in the grave. Even though he knew what was coming next, yeah, he knew that everyone in that moment would didn't know, and that yes. he and he let them sit with that, and he sat with them with it, and yes. that's so important because it's very easy to at times go, I just have to tough this out, or you know, this is just the way it is, but sometimes it's just going to God and going, look, this is what I was hoping for. And it didn't happen. And I'm so heartbroken by it and going because once once you get that off of your chest, a lot of times acknowledging that, okay, that's why I feel this way. Mm -hmm. And you just and it moves in a direction of a lot more hope and a lot less despair. Yeah, I think that's huge, Donnie. And I think that's really important for us to begin those conversations with our kids. Sometimes some of us, and I very much grew up in this camp and am guilty of doing this with my kids, of going, hey, get over it. Come on, it's time to move on. Mm -mm, No, we're not talking about that. Now, I will say this. I think there's two sides of this. We can't let our kids just live in their emotions. Uh, So as parents, we have to do both, which is, okay, let's talk about it, right? You're hurt, you're disappointed, um, in fact, we do this now so much in my home that my one time my daughter was really upset about something. And I said, OK, tell me what's going on. What are you upset about? And she says, all you're going to do is just talk to me about my feelings and listen to everything I think. That's not what I want right now. <laughs> I said, man, uh, your therapist would be so proud of me right now that <laughs> that I that I'm just willing to, to listen to you and hear your emotions. But I think that's important to not dismiss the emotion, but to not also say, well, let's get stuck in this yeah. because grief. And this is what we see in Geronicus's character. He does feel all his feelings. Mm-hmm. He's depressed. He's 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 sad. He's mad. He's hurt. But he just gets stuck there. And yeah. grief is not just I'm so sad that I lost this thing. It's then accepting but now I have to move on. Like, mm-hmm. this is now part of my life. It's never going to go away. That hurt, that disappointment is not just gone like that thing didn't matter or that person didn't matter. But how do I incorporate that into who I am and who God wants me to be? Mm-hmm. Now, there's this other aspect that really fits into this, which is really how grief and kind of these things trigger us. And Sawyer was actually talking a little bit about that with um, just the nature of there's these different characters, the way they interact with Jeronicus, whether it's the granddaughter or there's this character he has of um, he has another apprentice because he moves from being this invention toy factory to being a pawn shop where he just kind of fixes people's broken stuff. And there's this young boy who wants him to go back to being an inventor. But you can kind of see in Geronicus, he sees he is he has been so burned by a previous assistant, he can't trust this new assistant. 
Um, and so Sawyer, you had talked a little bit about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. And it's just something that I picked up on during the, like during the story of the movie, because Jeronicus or Jeronicus is such a, honestly, like a character that I sympathize with greatly just because his, his big problem is honestly like his, the fear of his past. You know, he's afraid that his past is eventually going to come back to haunt him. And basically the whole point of the movie is he has his granddaughter and Edison, uh, his new assistant, being like, hey, it's an adventure worthwhile to go on is the thing. And like, and yeah, it's going to require that you're going to have to like address your your demons. But at the end of it, it's it's going to be totally worth it because and, and it's like it's visual because, you know, at this point, he's just working in a pawn shop repairing people's broken toys. He's not an inventor anymore. And. For, for to avoid spoiling things, things change. Okay, and and uh, and I just thought it's a really beautiful story of redemption. You know, last time we were talking about Paddington is the thing, and it's very much. I, I very much feel like these are these two protagonists are like the two sides of the same coin. Where Paddington is like the future, like he's like the ultimate version, and then we've got Jeronicus, who is kind of this. He's growing into that is the thing. And and I, I really, really love the journey that he goes on of self-actualization is the thing. Yeah. Now I will say for those of you who are who are watching this and wondering, um Paddington is actually coming out next week. We recorded it. We recorded it a little early. No, it's fine. It's fine. I may take it out. It doesn't matter. I just was going to let people know if they're like, wait, we missed a Paddington. Because here's what I know. The people are hungry for Paddington. (laughs) And they they are wondering, when do we we need to see Paddington? Next week, you're going to see Paddington. But uh, I do think the point you're talking about here is is actually huge. Um, The point you're making about Jeronicus having to kind of deal with these things and learning to be redeemed himself, but also move towards redemption in his and reconciliation in his relationship with his daughter. Yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole song with that. There's a whole mo- moment. Oh, it's a great moment. Yeah. This it's just really emotional, great performance by Forrest Whitaker. Um, and it was a good moment. Once again, to talk to my girls about, it. I said, I hope there is nothing that ever happens to us or between us that, that, I want you to know I will always come apologize to you. Um, I actually had that moment um, a, a, a couple days ago with my oldest daughter. Um, so I don't even really remember what happened, but something happened where she got really upset about something and she started getting a little loud. And I I lost my temper over it, just to be honest. I lost my temper over it. And I also got loud. Um, and I spoke in a way that was probably just rude. Wasn't wasn't hurtful, wasn't anything, just was not the way I would normally want to speak. And then she started getting um, pretty rude and disrespectful back to me. And then she had to go to her room. And um, afterwards, I pulled her aside because I realized, you know what? We both were rude and disrespectful, but I'm the adult here. Like, and I told her that I said, I said, I'm, I was wrong. I should never speak to you that way. Um, you know, you said the same thing to me and you got in trouble, but daddies don't get in trouble. (laughs) I said, you had to go to your room, but I didn't have to, but I want you to know that I'm really sorry. And I hope you'll forgive me. And I said to her, I said, I, I hope that some, something like this never comes between us. Um, 
because I think as parents, and we've talked about this before on here, apologizing to your kids is really hard, but it is so important. Um, there, there, there's a possibility in every relationship, but especially in family relationships, for resentment to build up and for hurt to explode. And we should never expect our kids to have to be the first ones to apologize. Um, in fact, I didn't even make her apologize after that. Uh, she did say it before, but it was very much like a, I have to say this kind of thing. Uh, but I made sure to say a very heartfelt apology. Um, and I don't mean this by any to pat myself on the back. I hope you see, wow, Nathan blows up his kids just like I blow up in my kids. Uh, I, I want it to, to be a thing of us being able to understand that that apology part is huge. Yeah. Um, Donnie, I'm sure you've you've had similar moments with your kids. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a big part of it because I think it's what what happens is our pride gets in the way a lot of times because it's the idea of, well, quote unquote, I'm in a position of power. So you should not treat me or talk to me a certain way. But if I'm not showing that what's going to the dynamic is going to be that, hey, once I get older, I can start treating people this way. And I don't want that to be the case. I want them to know that regardless of whether they're the person that's the person that's listening and having to adhere or the person that is not in the position of authority, that you want to have that same reciprocated respect, you know, yeah. regardless. So, well, and I think, you know, and here's one good way of so you're in this moment where you're in a tense moment with your kid um, and you didn't handle it right. Um, and then they didn't handle it right. Um but they're upset. There, there was a hurt in this situation. Um, I now remember what the initial argument was that that made her kind of blow up because I entered to kind of try and she was having an argument with her sister and I was trying to um, manage that because it was going out of order. She was very hurt in the situation. And she started speaking to me disrespectfully after this. And my wife walked in. I thought that's just the best way to say it. And she said, um, wow, you must be really upset because I know that you would never speak to your father that way in another situation. And I thought that's a really good way. And she's just so much wiser and better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> and uh, it's just a really good way of validating her emotion while still also pointing to the behavior. Because what I normally would do in that is how disrespectful and ugly and, uh, you know, like that's the ugliest way to speak to me. Like I'm, I'm almost accusing her of being something she's not, but my, my wife was able to kind of elevate her and say, you must be really hurt or really embarrassed or really feeling this way because I know that you're such a good girl. You would never want to speak to your dad this way in another way. Yeah. I love that. The expectation of saying, I don't, I know who you are and there is a hurt here that is leading you in this direction and i know who you are so i'm you know, not yeah i don't i didn't want to interrupt you go ahead no but like it's and it's that idea of that once that feeling is acknowledged and knowing that hey you're hurt and i understand that because in those moments are hurt are when we often are most likely to have blow-ups or lose control you know and it's in those moments where it's like we can just choose that okay I can invalidate this person and how they feel because it will make me feel like my feelings are validated or in this moment, I can validate their feelings and understand that, you know what, there is an obvious hurt between both of us that has led to this. And how can we repair this without making it where it's damaged beyond, you know, 
any level of repair. So I think that's huge. And, and I think, um, in the movie, you even see some of that, you know, there's this, there's this whole thing that no one will call him by his name. Uh, mm -hmm. She calls him Jerry and the other guy yeah. calls him something else. I can't remember what. And someone calls him Mr. Jangle. And he's like, this idea of like knowing who you are is so critical to that. And like you said, yeah. uh, I think being able to say that to our kids and to speak into them and say, I see this in you. Like for, for Jeronicus Jangle to be able to say to his granddaughter, like, I see in you the same spark that's in me. And that was in your mom. I, that was one of my favorite parts too, is when the mom comes back and she says, um, She's just, she has what you have or something like that. And yeah. then he spits this back and you had it too. Like you have it too. Like yeah. it's not just that to be able to speak that into both his daughter and his granddaughter, just a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So uh, one other thing that we want to talk about, this one actually got brought to me through a conversation with my girls about this movie. At the end of the movie, um, this is going to spoil it. So if you don't want to know this, but I think it's a great opportunity. So if you're willing to be spoiled just a little bit, uh, you'll, you you don't you may not know this about me. I'm trying to be careful with spoilers. I think spoilers don't actually exist. I think knowing the end of the movie shouldn't ruin your experience of the movie because the movie's more about the themes than what happens in the plot. But that's a whole other deal. Regardless, if you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and click off the podcast now because this is going to be our last discussion. But here's what I'll say. At the end of the movie, you find out that on the night that Gustafson, Keegan-Michael Key's character, betrayed... Um, Dronicus Jangle, because the reason he betrays him is he was trying to invent something. He had an invention of his own. It kept breaking. He kept asking Jangle, hey, can you help me fix this? And Jangle kept saying, not right now. I'm doing something else. Well, it's revealed at the end of the movie at the at, on that night, he was going to give him the missing piece of his invention that he didn't. And he said, if you would just have waited, if you just have waited and not stolen from me, you would have gotten everything you needed. And my daughter said to me, well, it's not his fault. It's the other guy because Ricky Martin's character, who's this little toy. If you haven't seen the movie, this sounds really bizarre, but he basically comes up with the idea of you should steal this stuff and tempts him to steal it. But what I had to say to my daughter was explaining to her, hey, we're all tempted to do bad things, but we're the ones who choose. No one forces us because she said he made him steal it. I said, no one makes you do anything. You may be tempted to do the bad thing, but you get to choose. And then it gave me the opportunity because we had just recently read through the Adam and Eve story with my children to draw this parallel to the story of the Bible of uh, Satan is a tempter, comes into the garden, gets them to not trust God, says, hey, God's not going to give you what you really want. You need to take it for yourself. You need to take this fruit for yourself. They, they take it. And God's very much like, if you would have just trusted me, I would have given you everything you needed for a good life, but you didn't trust me. You took it and that's it. And the women, uh, uh, the woman, uh, Eve and the man, Adam, blame the serpent. Well, first, Adam blames his wife. He's like, she gave it to me. She tempted me. It's her fault. Then she's like, no, it's the serpent's fault. And it's a good opportunity for me to have these conversations with my kids about the nature of temptation of you're going to have thoughts to do bad things or to steal something or to lie or to say a mean name or to whatever. But you get to choose. That's the benefit God gives us is he gets to, to, to teach us to choose. And I remember Donnie and I talking about this. And, and Sawyer, too, you were talking about it, of that moment that Keegan-Michael Key really sees uh, for himself in that moment. Oh, the, the tragedy on his face was just it's, – it's brutal, man. It was brutal to see when he realized, I didn't have to do this. I think we've all been there before. So. Yeah. 
I, I actually, I, I have a couple thoughts on, on Go ahead. That. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really well juxtaposed with like that. Cause that moment, like there's so much context that goes into that moment that we haven't even gotten into, but like the main thing that I just, I, I want to, and maybe this is, will be how we wrap things up, but like the juxtaposition of Keegan-Michael Key's character, uh, Gustafson and Geronicus is so stark in that moment. It's a, it's at its most stark in that moment because you've kind of had these re- roles reversed where at the beginning of the movie, you have a character at their, at their lowest and a character at their highest. And by the end of the movie, it just so perfectly swaps. Okay. And, and, and but you're also not like, yeah, Geronicus, you are experiencing that, but you're also very sympathetic with, with uh, Gustafson is the thing. It's, it's, it's a very powerful one. And it, and again, it's worth having those conversations with your kids, even if they're kind of tough conversations to have. So, yeah, I think it's huge. So, a lot of heavy stuff in this movie, but I will say the movie's funny. It's it's adventurous. Uh, those moments are in there too. They're very dramatic, sweet mm-hmm. moments as well. Um, but I think it's worth having the conversations with your kids. Now, I want to end up on this uh, to try and get us lighthearted again right here at the end. So, very quickly because we're we're almost out of time. Uh, what was your favorite musical number, whether it be the music or the stuff? So I'll, I'll throw out a couple titles. The opening number with the big dance sequence, All My Life, uh, apparently now, I, I mean, I may be wrong, but it looks like according to Wikipedia, performed by Ursher. And uh, the the kind of the big ballad, the I Want song in musicals is a Square Root of Possible, uh, which is a very powerful song. And then kind of the more humorous numbers, Magic Man G, uh, which is uh, Keegan-Michael Key's song, and then Joanne's song, Miles and Miles, the one she sings to him with the backup singers, which are hilarious. Um, so which one of those, Donnie, is, or, or, or some other song? There's lots of other great songs. Ricky Martin's got a song, yeah. all kinds of songs. Um, I like, I definitely like the um, the opening number, but I have to say uh, the the uh, trio that sings these moment, like these moment uh in the movie and you'll see it like kind of like they're placed in there at different times. Yeah. I love those. It's something about like that, almost like a, like an Easter egg. They're like, Hey, check this out. And then like you get back to the plot and it's like, I love that. But um, yeah, definitely the introduction by far, just because the way it's brought in, you're like, okay, it like, it brings it to almost this, like you're about to get the climax of the movie but it's really kind of like uh, it's just telling you what's about to happen. Like, hey, we're about to hit the high point of this. And now we're going to start showing you how this story progresses. So it puts you in a really good feel good mood. Yeah, I will say my daughters, it's not really a song per se, but they love that snowball sequence. Oh, that's uh, awesome. The that little just, dance sequence in the street. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even just the way like he 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 maps out how to throw the snowballs yeah. and. Very cool. Sawyer, yeah. what's your favorite moment? Uh, Magic Man G was my favorite part of the whole movie, honestly. I, I That whole sequence. I mean, it's what I was talking about at the very beginning where every, it's just like, okay, I'm going to sound like a nerd right now. All of the filmmaking in that scene is perfect. You know, this, from the cinematography, the blocking of the shots, to the choreography of Keegan-Michael Key, to the physical performance of his of his acting going on and the singing and stuff like that. All of the aesthetics, the colors, all the supporting cast and dancers in that scene is perfect. 
Yeah, I agree. That 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 segment's great. So same thing with the first the first number, just really well. There's a moment that's like this wow moment that uh, I don't think is ever actually met again in the rest of the movie when uh, there's these slow motion dancers that jump across and oh, the whole thing awesome. slows and there's people spin and it's like perfectly structured. And I was like, if this is what the whole every dance sequence is going to be, and they, they never quite live up to that again. But the the Magic Man G is pretty close. It, it's perfect it reminded me of if a lot of people uh i feel like either one of you or both of you have seen hail caesar the coen brothers film oh yeah the 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 dance sequence with channing tatum in that oh Um, yeah that's a good scene it had that feel to it i thought it was great um i really love the song square root of possible um musically uh is that edison's song yeah oh no it's um the the girl journey song oh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. her song which i think is great um and just absolutely a lot of fun um i mean probably philosophically not the best idea the square root of impossible is me but uh <laughs> uh that it's all possible because of me that certainly isn't very theologically accurate but uh i thought it was funny because it uses a lot of the same language from uh, the song we sing at church unstoppable god it's like i'm unstoppable i'm impossible i do the impossible and i'm like well i don't know but the song is a banger so <laughs> yeah <laughs> doesn't agree. matter I- i've listened to worst theological songs than that's that. and that's actually and i this it's worth mentioning this the music is much more hip hop infused than like Mary sure. Poppins. So just a heads up, don't be expecting a spoonful of sugar with any it, of these songs. It blends those styles. And that's what I was going to yeah. say. Is I think what's very interesting was it feels modern, but it yeah. doesn't even feel like Lin-Manuel Miranda stuff. It, no. do, it does feel like the way the songs are structured, that they feel very much like a Mary Poppins song. Yeah. Like but it, borrows with, from the, it borrows from the classic, yeah. but infuses the modern to it. Like it's yeah. like, Hey, this is what you're, com- what you're used to. But we're going to make sure you understand that the time frame this was made to like have that you know, infused in there. Absolutely. All right. So jingle, jingle, thumbs up. Great conversations to have. Most importantly, we hope you just build some memories with your kids and start some conversations that matter that help them love Jesus and his way of life even more. We will see you next time when we talk about Paddington 2.